Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Y ojo a la subida de Cedric Suárez. Ahí está el portugués que tiene ganas. Odegaard mete la pelota para la casilla. La deja para Martinelli. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. It really is today. I've, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly uh, committed to this being a goodly morning. The goodliness is turned up to 11 in Spinal Tap terms. It kind of is. Like I, I know it wasn't the most uh, complete or convincing performance against Watford Mm -hmm. and we will talk about that because you know sort of our job but I I also sort of don't care (laughs) like I'm I'm just in a really good mood about Arsenal today I don't know if it's the league table I don't know if it's just sort of the accumulation of all these wins you know four wins back to back Mm. eight wins from ten but like I really feel like, even though it was flawed and imperfect, I don't know if it's just the beauty of the goals, I really feel like they deserve a big pat on the back today. Sure. I, I, I'm i with you. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about football discussion and culture these days is the prevalence and frequency of of um, of online content, hashtag content, whatever you want to say, right? And I know that we're part of that and it's our job and we do it and we love it and it's great and it's it's brilliant to have all this stuff out there. But I I, I think sometimes that maybe there is a a how do I say this properly? That the demand for more stuff. And by the way, I'm not blaming listeners or readers or anything like that. I just wonder if the microscopic nature of coverage these days sometimes, I'm not saying it creates problems or invents problems, but talking points become talking points when they don't necessarily need to be big things or big talking points, you know? Because you're right, it was imperfect yesterday. There were things that weren't good. Mikel Arteta's post-match reaction, I think, tells us plenty about what he thought about aspects of that performance but this morning, I'm much more inclined, like you, to focus on what's good about this team and what was good about yesterday. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and I and I think another facet of kind of online culture is that I feel like, and we're increasingly circumspect about leaving ourselves open to being wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like we've been, and maybe it's because we've been burnt by Arsenal teams before, <laughs> but there's a reticence to be like, okay, maybe we're good. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe, maybe yes. this is good. Maybe this is fine. Maybe this is all okay and this is positive. There's a reticence to, like, embrace the positivity we're 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 always very careful we're always very circumspect we're always very like well we'll see nothing's decided yet tough games on the horizon you know we looked yeah. a bit shaky in some areas and that is reasonable but i just have to say that for myself today after basically a season of that i just feel like saying <laughs> fuck it like well done we were bottom of the league in september we are fourth now on merit. Yeah. We played less games than our immediate rivals. Whatever happens, and I genuinely mean that, whatever happens, this turnaround, I think, has been fantastic. And yesterday was not our best performance of the season. But my God, it was a lot of fun at times. Yeah. And the goals we scored were Ooh. sensational. And yeah, I, I just feel like... Um, you know what? It's James? weird. Yeah. I, I, yeah. If only we'd wanted it. If only we wanted to be in the top four. Yeah, if only you know, anybody wanted to be in the top rather four. Rather than just sort of being there by default. You know, if only we'd wanted it by improving our performances and stats and goals and results. And, and results. Like that, yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, I know. I know. We I could be truly happy. Bad bunch. We could be truly happy. You know what, though? I do think just it's worth saying that. The the circumspection, I think, is in some ways informed by the manager because he yeah. he has been very deliberately underplaying, perhaps. Maybe now he's underplaying things. I don't quite know. But there were moments this season where I remember very clearly after the Leicester game when we were really good. And I know that was a tight game in the end. And um, there were there were moments of, of hairy scariness in that as well. But, you know, there was some really great stuff from Arsenal. And, and we were all delighted by that performance and by that result. And he said very clearly, we've done nothing yet. We have done nothing yet, you know, and, and you can understand why, because it wasn't long after that start to the season and everything else. But it has been a consistent message from him when things are going well, like he's keen to praise the things that are good, but he's he's so determined to keep feet on the ground. Now, maybe he's just talking publicly to his players. Maybe he's talking to the fans as well and trying to keep expectations in check or whatever else. So I do think that some of that circumspection uh, comes from A, previous inconsistency, and B, what Mikel Arteta has been saying very publicly about he doesn't want to get carried away. And I, I get it. I completely get it. And I actually like it. I really like the way he has communicated this season, you know? But those three goals yesterday... And we'll talk about it. I think we'll get the, the bad stuff, if you want to call it the bad stuff, out of the way first. But those three goals yesterday, boy, oh boy, you know, we've had discussions and talks about Arsenal's attack, Arsenal's attacking play, our effectiveness, our chance creation, all those kind of things for, for obvious reasons. But then we do that yesterday and you, you can't help but be encouraged by the quality of the goals, the precision, the, the craft, the connections, the relationships that are forming in that front three, front four, and even behind them. Um, you know, it, it's really, really positive to see us score goals 
goals like that and then go on and, and win games. Yeah, and I think your point about Arteta is a good one. I mean, he he is keeping people's feet on the ground and that's his prerogative. That's his job, you know, and I think it's absolutely right that he does that um, to, to remain level-headed, to, you know, kind of be circumspect in that fashion. That's his job. Sometimes, if I've, you know, if I've got a journalist hat on, that has to be my job as well. But just today, mm. in this safe space... I just feel like exhaling and being like, you know, this is wow, good. We we're doing all right. Yeah, this we're is doing good. All right. This is good. And, okay. And, and, Go on. And, and yeah, the goals. I mean, obviously, were stunning. But I do think it's just it's the result as well. I think it's the momentum of another win. Mm. You know what has this? What have we talked about all season with this team inconsistency? And I'm sure there are difficult days ahead. But you know. February and into the start of March, we have been super consistent in terms of results, and that's a massive positive. Yeah, right. So, um, do you want to start with that then, and what Mikel Arteta said when we went three-one up, and <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, probably should have scored more goals because I think there were more goals in this game for us. Uh, there were opportunities, there were moments, there were things, moves that didn't quite come to fruition, and then of course, when something like the second goal goes in you're then left with a very hairy final five or 10 minutes in injury time and things like that. And, and uh, there was a great moment, um, which I'm sure you saw close up, but we saw on TV when Bakayo Saka had scored the goal to put us back ahead. Um, TV cameras cut to Mikel Arteta in very intense conversation with Granite Xhaka. And there was no mm. doubt that th this wasn't like, well done lads, you're back in front. It was like, listen, sort this fucking shit out on the sideline mm -hmm. because there were aspects of our game that weren't where they should be. And he said, um, we have to make 300,000 passes in the opposition half, which, you know, is a nice aspiration. I like the ambition. Um, you know, we have to make those passes in the opposition half. And when they come at us, we can attack them. We didn't do that. The game was open and there was an openness to us. I think throughout, you know, you look at the, the, the opening 20 seconds where we could have been, a goal behind, uh, but he was very, very marginally uh, offside. Well, not marginally, he was offside, but it was close, you know? He didn't necessarily need to be. No. Yeah. I, I, I think that's right. I mean, Arteta spoke about when we were at 3 1, and I, uh, you know, we should have controlled the game more. I think control is the key word, and I think that's what we didn't really establish mm. for prolonged enough periods. It's interesting, you know, when you look at all the post-match reports that were published on full-time, I had a look at some of the newspapers and the BBC, they all had headlines like, uh, Arsenal impress as they head into fourth, <laughs> but are made to wait, but are made nervous by late Watford goal. And all the match reports, like, clearly had been written around the 70-minute mark, like, really praising Arsenal, yeah, 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 talking yeah. about the quality of our goals, and then hasty, panicked rewrites. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that... Um, that late goal added a, an injection of anxiety that we didn't need, but we didn't exert the kind of control. Let's say that we did against Brentford, for example, where, yeah. again, it was an, a one-goal victory, but, I mean, they were never in the game. This was a bit of a basketball game, really. I mean, Watford had a lot of shots. I think they had more shots on target than we did. Admittedly, not many mm. of them were super threatening. Um, uh, I agree we probably should have there were opportunities for us in the second half. We didn't turn into chances that we could have done. Maybe we got a little bit casual, a little bit lax. Mm. 
But yeah, it, it reminded me in a funny way. I mean, it was it was not quite as bad as this, but it reminded me a little bit of when Emery went to Vicarage Road. It did have that kind of helter skelter quality to it, you know. Well, I mean, that was a that was a very bad very bad day and I think you're right to say that for the most part this was good from Arsenal it should have been better we should have been uh, more on top when they scored their second goal so I know what you're saying but I don't think it was anywhere close to that performance which was one of the the worst um, Arsenal performances in in recent memory but I I know what you mean about the about the way it turned out but he was interesting Arteta he said he talked about we have to show maturity understanding and and capacity to control the game how we want to and I think the word maturity is quite an interesting one because um, I'm not going to use the fact that this is a young team as a crutch or an excuse but you have to learn when you're a young team and when you're a team that's developing together and whatever else about the the individual age profiles of the players as a team itself as a group of players it's not exactly mature in terms of how long it's been playing together you know what i mean so i thought that was an interesting way of describing that and you know if this is a morning where we can acknowledge not everything is right uh, with the performance against watford but we can look to take the positives from it it's it's sort of like the the wolves game a couple of weeks ago or or the last game where we proved to ourselves that we could come from behind to win. And this maybe is the kind of game where we can say, okay, we didn't do everything right, but we had enough to hang on. We were capable of de- uh, dealing with the final few minutes, et cetera, et cetera. These sort of things that these game state scenarios that you go through, that when you're faced with them again, you have a little bit more experience of them and you feel perhaps a bit more confident uh, or a bit more comfortable with the actual game state and your ability to see it out. Yeah, I think if you're going to have a wobble, have a wobble and win. Um, I think on the attacking front, we did score those remarkable three goals and we will talk about those shortly. Yeah. And I do wonder if in the second half, there was almost there, there was almost a slight sense that Arsenal were sort of trying to have their own goal of the month competition. I do think at times, mm. you know, we overcomplicated it or just, you know, there were sort of simple passes to play people in. We yeah. didn't always take them or they were slightly overhit. Um, and defensively, I think we were shakier than we have been. And I think actually that's there's a bit of continuity there from the Wolves game where, you know, although it's a fantastic win, fantastic points, I don't think... Uh, there were a couple of errors at the back. Obviously, we get we gave them a goal, and yeah. I don't think we looked quite as solid there. Um, but as I said, if you're going to have those wobbles, if you're going to have those moments, but you've got the sucker of the points yeah. at the end of it, you can live with that, can't you? Well, for sure, and especially in a weekend when West Ham had been beaten, and we were waiting yeah. for Manchester United to play Manchester City, uh, and hoping that that City wouldn't do something stupid like they did against Tottenham a couple of weeks ago, which uh, thankfully uh, they didn't. Um, you know, this... I've got a little story about that, by the way, which is that yesterday we had in-person press conferences for the first yeah. time in a long time. And I was in the press conference room at Watford and Mikel Arteta had just been in uh, with the Arsenal press officer and he went out into the corridor. And at the moment when he and I guess some other Arsenal staff were stood in the corridor, Manchester City took the lead through Kevin De Bruyne. And the reason I know that is that I heard somebody, and I don't know who, very loudly from the corridor go, yes, like that. (laughs) (laughs) So someone with some... uh, yeah. Fealty, some loyalty to Arsenal was very, very pleased when that goal went. Well, sure, because, you know, 
for all that we talk about having to focus on things ourselves and, and we can only do what we can do, which is true, you, you're still going to keep a close eye on what happens in, in the other games. And, um, yeah. you know, to be and where Wolves we... lost as well, as yeah. well, Andrew. Yeah. Um, and actually, listen, I know we're fourth today and all the talk's going to be about top four and I completely understand that. But, you know, if we're looking at the kind of minimum requirement, the worst case scenario, we've all, we're all of the mind that it has to be European football of some sort. I think that if you look at Wolves and West Ham, I think they Wolves certainly are falling away a little bit. I think West Ham may be in the process of doing that too. Um, that's a very good thing for Arsenal. You know, I, I do think those places between fourth, mm. fifth, and sixth are going to be decided between uh, Arsenal, Spurs, and United. And of course, at the moment, we are the front runners. Come on, Everton tonight. That's all we Come can on, say. Come on, Everton. Just I don't have huge the faith perfect. in them, I have to say, from what I've seen of them of late, but we shall see. It's difficult, isn't it, to um, <laughs> envisage a successful Everton uh, performance and result tonight, but you never know. You never Deli know. Deli Ali remembering he's a footballer and sticking one in at, 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 yeah, against Spurs oh, would be funny. God, yeah. And then I hope he celebrates. Yeah, please. Please do. Alex Awobi assist, of course. Um... <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, well, look, we have we have acknowledged some of the deficiencies in our performance, and I don't know if you feel like going into the nuts and bolts of them. I'm not sure I necessarily do. I think there's probably a couple of questions in the second half where we might sort of go around them, but I don't think we need to, to talk too much about their goals. Um, I mean, the first one. First goal's brilliant. I mean... Shinner. Hit it off a shin, complete fluke. <laughs> I've watched that goal again, um, you know, looking for sort of the Arsenal fault in it. I think maybe Gabby Martinelli might feel he's a little bit easily deceived when mm. ball's kind of fed out to the guy to cross it in. I think once that cross comes in, I don't know there's much you can do about that. I mean, it's behind the guy and he pulls out a bicycle mm. kick. His movement is is really, really good. I know from watching watching it again, you know, there were you could maybe look at the two central, uh, not um, Cedric and, and Ben White, maybe um, could get a bit tighter, but I don't think realistically they were expecting him to, you know, jump five feet in the air and smack it in off mm. his shin. Um, so yeah, look, it was a it was a brilliant finish, a brilliant finish. Second one, Second I thought one's we were a, a bit more bit, ragged. I think. Well, yeah, it is in the sense that um, one of the. Uh, before we get on to the good, good stuff, one of the things that bothered me a bit about yesterday's performance was the the long balls that weren't really on when we could have just kept the ball. We could have been a bit more patient in certain areas. I think Gabriel um, at the back was, was culpable a few times of mm. just lumping it when he could perhaps have been a bit more uh, solid. This one was Granit Xhaka playing a crossfield ball which I don't really think was on. It required the ultimate precision, which he didn't have in that particular pass. And then you're never going to get to three hundred thousand passes with no, all these long balls. Exactly. You need tick 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 tick. Um, but we gave the ball away when we didn't really need to give the ball away. Sissoko ran off Shaka too easily. I think Ben White is a little unlucky there. To be honest, I know it doesn't look good for him, but I just think it's one of those that as the ball is dropping, it could easily hit his leg and go out for a corner or whatever it is. I think Sissoko gets a little bit of good fortune in terms of how the ball broke for him to put it away, but a really sloppy goal to concede. Um, but yes, beyond that. It, one of the things that's curious to me, 
I'd have to watch it again to really analyse it properly, but the distance, the gap between Gabrielle and Ben White, Gabrielle's quite high and quite far from Ben White, and it's sort of Shaka who ends up following the runner but not quite following him closely enough. It's, it's just not a brilliant shape at that point in the game. No, I'm watching it again here. Like, it's a that's a really bad crossfield ball from Shaka. Watford take it forward. Sissoko's running. Xhaka's got him. Gabrielle pushes across. Yeah, Gabrielle pushes across to, I think it's Hernandez, and then there is a gap, of course, in the borders of Xhaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe White could get across quicker. I don't know, but... Yeah. There's a bit of luck as well from from their side. But yeah, it's a shame. It was a little bit of a, a blotch on the day. But yeah. like I said, I'd, I'd rather, given the time that we have, okay. spend some time talking about the goals let's, that we did school. Let's do it. Should, I mean, we should probably put in some uh, sexy music here or something <laughs> like that because the goals, <laughs> the goals were just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, the Martin Odegaard goal. I was reading a thing. There was a, a thread on Reddit, on the uh, uh, Gunners Reddit. Um, I should give the name of the guy because he did a great job of translating it. Uh, man, man 92 He did. Uh, Odegaard did an interview with Norwegian Television. And he basically yeah. translated the whole thing. And it was fascinating reading. Um, one of the things that was quite funny was him talking about when he discussed his role this season with Mikel Arteta was how he's got to support the forwards more, how he's got to make runs into the box more uh, and score more goals. And this was something that Mikel Arteta and Martin Odegaard discussed and talked about as uh, markers for him this season. That was his fifth goal of the season, which I think is is pretty decent, still room for more. But the build-up play, the back heel from Odegaard to Saka is just... This isn't the first time. It's it's sort of like uh, I feel like as Odegaard is getting more comfortable in the team, he's allowing himself to showcase his range of skills, for want of a better word, skills with a Z, of course, for want of a better word. Techers. Techers. Yeah, exactly. You know, because he is now more comfortable. I mean, it's it's quite interesting to think that early in the season he went through a little spell where he wasn't quite at it and he was out of the team and people were saying you know is how is he going to get his way back into the team now and he's so crucial and fundamental to this team um and there was never any doubt in my mind that once he got the ball back from Saka having continued his run into the box I I just knew he was going to score I didn't sort of have that willy wonty moment where, you know, you get that with some of our players. Um, you don't quite know what's going to happen. I knew he was going to score from that position. It was a brilliant goal. Do you know what? It's, 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 it's not even a conventional back heel, really. It's not like it's a drag back. or No. That it, he literally pivots his body and allows it to kind of ricochet off his right heel. It's mm. pretty stunning, actually. He sort of plants his foot, spins on it, and just bounces it off the back of his heel. It's really, really sensational touch. And actually, I think when you um, watch it again, one of the things that's striking is once he's released the ball to Saka, the acceleration that he shows mm. to get away from his marker, he really finds that space brilliantly. And I loved the finish too. Just really relaxed, calm pass finish. It was a beautifully smooth goal. And I thought those two in particular showed some sensational interplay um, at times in the game. I was actually disappointed when Saka moved over to the left at some point in the second mm. half because I was like, it was so much fun 
just watching those guys in, in close proximity yeah. to each other. Just watching it again, you're right to mention that. He sort of turns his body and lets it hit his heel. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a it's question. It's deliberate. It's 100% yeah, 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 yeah. deliberate. Oh, yeah. No question. Uh, but it's, you know, and that's off his, that's off his wrong foot as well that he lets it come off. So it, it's a, an incredible, audacious piece of skill. Completely takes mm. a guy out of the game. Finishing it off with the goal. I mean, yeah, it must he must be very, very happy with that this morning, I should imagine. Yeah, I mean, the right-hand side, that uh, you've written about it this morning and you've just mentioned it there. The connection between Saka and Odegaard is is fantastic. That right-hand side is really... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I was going to say complete, but I don't think that's quite the right word. But it is is highly functional, perhaps, is is the way of putting it, that the balance seems to be really, really good between those two. And maybe there are um, some things that we can talk about about the left-hand side um, as we go on. But he's feeling confident and taking on the responsibility that as one of the senior younger players, if that makes sense, uh, that I think Arteta has been looking for from yeah, him, I, you know, and, and the, <laughs> the price tag, when you think about what we paid Real Madrid for this player in comparison with what maybe we would have had to pay, let's say Leicester for James Madison, um, I mean, it's a fantastic piece of transfer business that the club deserve uh, a lot of credit for. Yeah, it's pandemic pricing, really. I mean, you know, if 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 someone had told me Martin Odegaard was going to cost us fifty million pound, I probably wouldn't have been too surprised to get him for whatever it was thirty thirty five. It felt good at the time. Mm. It looks even better now. And Arteta spoke about him. You know. Uh, a lot of it's in that Norwegian piece, actually. I think it was TV2 in Norway who did yeah. the piece. Uh, about what he brings that, you know, doesn't always show up in the stats, doesn't always show up in the numbers, the sort of connection, the fluidity yeah. he brings to the team, his professionalism. I think he said something like, he's everything you want in a footballer in terms of his attitude. Um, he is... Arsene Wenger used to talk about technical leaders, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. one of the technical leaders For of sure. this team. He, yeah, he gives you that. really uh, a lot of security, doesn't he? On the ball and in the final third, not just in terms of keeping the ball, but what he can potentially do with it. Like, he can open defences. He can make things happen. Um, mm. And he can make things and, happen. And he's got, that, yeah. he's got that... He's got that... He's got that little sprint if he needs it, and he works really oh, hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy watching him. I think uh, it's interesting, you know, he came on loan and I think he was good on his loan, but he had that injury and that set him back a little bit. If you think back to the start of the season, there was that period where he wasn't getting yeah. inside. We were going with two up top, Lacazette playing with Aubameyang. He he kind of had to readapt, reacclimatize, but he's really made this team his own. And yeah. honestly, when he's playing like he did yesterday... He he glides around that pitch. He he floats above it almost. I mean, yeah, I I love watching Martin Odegaard, and I actually think, you know, if you look at the job he's doing in the channel that he's doing it, the, the chances that he's making for others, the way he's taking them when they come to him, you know, this is pretty much what Mikel Arteta would have hoped Meza Özil could have produced in, in his final couple of years at Arsenal. I think there are parallels there, and Odegaard is excelling. I think he's mm. been fantastic of late. Yeah, he really is. So too Bukayo Saka. Um, he's not bad either. No, he's all right, isn't he? 
I mean... I'm not sure I've seen him play better than he did yesterday, I have to say. I thought he was brilliant against Watford. You know what? I completely agree. I thought he was brilliant, but I could see how he could be better, which is also yeah. hugely encouraging as well. Like, I'm not being critical of him because I do think he was absolutely superb, but I also think there were moments where, again, just with that little bit more maturity, which will come, of course, you know, he could be more devastating, more clinical. He could produce more. He could score more. And that's a frightening thought for um, for opposition defenders. It's a very arousing thought for all of us. <laughs> um, yeah. And the goal he scored... I mean, there's a there's a quality to his finishing that you don't really see that often from players of his age. When you think about the goals that he scored, um, do you remember the, the goal against Newcastle where he lashed it in from a tight angle? Yeah. There was the goal against um, was it Brentford? Yeah, again, where you're looking and thinking it's going to take a hell of a shot in terms of power and precision to beat a goalkeeper from there. And he did it. And yesterday, yeah. the the fact that he was on his toes to win the ball back off Tom Cleverley, uh, the pass um, into Lacazette, continues his movement, very nice rollback into his path from, from Lacazette. And then that finish where he could have gone either side of the goalkeeper and he would have scored. And it, it just, it was so emphatic that he knows when he gets into those positions that that he can deliver. It's um yeah, just superb piece of football. Yeah, I I retweeted it just now actually, but somebody on Twitter uh, 1899 media has done a really nice comparison of Saka's goal against Watford and a Messi goal, I think it's against Man City in the Champions League, and they are almost beat for beat identical. The disguise in the finish, the way he puts it in the top corner. Listen, I'm not saying he's the same player as Lionel Messi, but it does give you some indication yet, of the quality yet. of that finish. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, yeah. I, I thought he was completely irrepressible at Watford. I only wished that they had um, registered Danny Rose for the second half of the season just so he could have been subject <laughs> to that torment. Um, yeah. They've seen they've seen better than that. They've realised that he is completely yeah. useless. They, they keep, um, um, I think it was Alan Smith on, on commentary on Sky Sports, uh, who was the Watford left back, was named Camera. Um, yeah. And he kept going, he kept saying, ooh, he's had a hard time today. Oh, he's <laughs> been worked hard, that lad. And then there's one moment about 87, 88 minutes and he just chased down somebody and was standing there, you know, doing that thing where you've got your hands on your knees and you're like, yeah. oh, and he was like, oh, he's had a hard time today from the Arsenal players. <laughs> and like, uh, he did. He really did. He did. I actually thought he was pretty game. I, I thought he gave it a pretty good go. But I mean, of course, yeah. he had a nightmare on his hands in Saka. And I actually thought, you know, how old is Saka? He's 20. Yeah. I watched him at Watford and I sort of felt, I think of him as a boy, really, as our, our boy, our academy boy. Mm -hmm. But I thought he really played like a man. And uh, I think he is going to another level, actually. Yeah. I think, and, and you know, it, we know that, we knew that he would, we knew he had it in him. But I think it's, we're seeing that transition now. Yeah. I loved his goal. I loved that he won the ball back. I love the clinical finish, the confidence in it. 
I love the way he sort of relished the physicality at times yesterday. He was just enjoying himself. And that was the thing about him and Odegaard. They were having a lovely time and I was having a <laughs> lovely time watching it. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. I, 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 brilliant goal. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The third one was, was <laughs> sensational too. Bakayo and Martin's lovely day out. There's it really was a lovely day out. <laughs> Honestly, when they brought Pepe on and switched Saka to the left, I was on that flank where Saka and Odegaard were playing. I was like, no! <laughs> Honestly, I was like, what? just let me keep watching this. I'll have another 90 minutes. Um, I, I, I don't think it was a substitution that really worked, to be honest. No, I saw the point in it because I could see that I thought Pepe's going to be clinical here. He's going to get chances, but it didn't mm. quite pan out that no. way. Um, and in, in the end, I think Saka finished back on the right. I think uh, they switched it over in the final five minutes or so. But yeah, they 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 were they were nice yeah. boys having a very nice time. Nice boys having a nice time. They are nice boys having a very <laughs> nice time. Um, what's that David Bowie video? We have a nice life. One of his last videos with Tilda Swinton. We yeah, have a yeah, nice yeah. life. And they have a nice life at Arsenal. The third goal, um, what kind of one-touch wizardry is this? I mean, I throw in, one touch, the Odegaard touch, the Lacazette uh, layoff, and that finish is much more difficult than it looks. And, it, you know, I remember on the literally two seconds before on the live blog, We'd worked it down the left-hand side and it didn't really come off between Tierney and Martinelli. And I said something on the live blog, oh, Martinelli and Tierney, it's not quite there, certainly in comparison with the right-hand side. And we end up somehow with a throw-in over on the over on the other side. I think maybe a Watford player whacked it out. Um, yeah. And then Martinelli does that. And it was an amazing finish. And I think one that he really needed as well because he hasn't scored since the Leeds game. Um, mm. Which was back in back in December. December, yeah. Um, so I'm just going to watch this passage. A little pre assist from Mikel Arteta as well. Let's yeah. not forget racing out of his uh, technical area, mm. much to the irritation of the Watford fans who are near me. Yeah, some dude, whoever the number six at Watford is. Oh, it's loser. He's loser. a loser, He's the guy baby. They all, they all booed when he came off. Yeah, they weren't uh, happy with that. Oof, even though he just booted finish. the ball out. <laughs> yeah, I, it, do you know what? Again, um, for my little Martin Odegaard loving, I think his touch in the build-up oh, is yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. way he just lifts it over his marker. Lacazette, nice layoff. And it is a brilliant finish. They're all good finishes. I mean, you know, if you're interested in kind of the XG, I think Watford... Uh, they, you know, they had a higher XG than us in this game. I think All our right. XG was about one point three, and theirs was about one point five. But which suggests that the chances that mm. we took were not straightforward. Uh, it took some pretty outstanding finishing to get our three goals, and yeah, we absolutely saw that in this case. And yeah. I agree, really good for Martinelli to get back on the score sheet, um, especially seeing as Alexandre Lacazette, bless him, is is never going to score a goal again. <laughs> I'm watching; he never is. <laughs> He never is. I'm watching Ben Foster here as the goal goes in. It's brilliant. There it is. Bloody hell, mate. What What a bleeding oh, good strike. You're bloody, you just bloody hit it there. As You've you just blazed wicked, it wicked. and it's just gone straight in the top nets, top bins. Smashed it in there like bloody footman. <laughs> <laughs> and he just falls over flat in his face. It's great. <laughs> I have to say, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Watford got to 3-2, they had a couple of free kicks from yeah. D. Yeah. 
which Ben Foster just booted. Basically, as far as I remember, like straight through to his mate, Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, it was, it was very it nice. It must have been so frustrating for them. It, it, was, it very... was almost like when someone's injured and you give the ball back. Yeah, it was very nice of him. I appreciated that. Um, penalty or not for Arsenal on Lacazette? Cause One I... thing, just about the goal, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah. I love a goal in front of the away fans like that. The celebrations were brilliant. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, there yeah. are going to be some very good photos. And I videos. noticed Stu was uh, right in there, you know, with the little group hug. So I'm looking forward to soaking up all the content from yeah. the away end. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That'll be penalty, good. undoubtedly a penalty, in my opinion. He kicks his ankle. Yeah. And the 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 thing about it is, is that... Watford got two free kicks in the first half for pretty much the exact same foul. One of those where he just kicks the back of the the boot. Maybe the boot came yeah. off on one of them as well. I think it was it was uh, Gabriel maybe who who made that foul. But Watford got two free kicks for exactly the same foul. Like I don't know that Lacazette's fall was particularly convincing or something. I don't mm. I don't know. It looked a bit like he. Um, he does make the most of it. He made the most of it. Yeah, there's a question. But, like, I don't know how we're ever going to get a penalty again. To me, that was Stonewall penalty. Yeah. And, in fact, I was sat next to Adam Leventhal, who's our Watford reporter for The Athletic, and he was like, I can't believe they've not given that. Yeah, I mean, it, me, it was. Me neither. I'm not surprised, um, but I. Did I, you think uh, Ben White might be in any trouble when he was running back and had a little hand on the shoulder? Do you know the incident? Which one was that? When was that exactly? It was in the second half. There uh, there was like a ball over the top and the Watford player went through. Oh, is this where he went and pretended he said he got an elbow? He pretended he got hit in the face, yeah. Mm. But I think he did have a little tug at him. I don't know. Again, it was one I thought, they might look at that, but I don't know if they did or not. Maybe. I mean, if they were looking at it for an elbow, there certainly wasn't uh, an elbow. No elbow. Um... I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to watch that again. My sense was that it was just that guy being, uh, you know, uh, gamesmanship or cheating or whatever you want to call it. Could be. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a stick-on penalty, yeah. and, and I guess you know, maybe technically Arteta shouldn't have been allowed to go out of his area and you know chuck the ball back in or whatever. But it does feel like us getting a penalty at the present time is extremely unlikely, and, mm. and actually. You know, if we get that, we go to four-one. The game's dead. Yeah, like well and truly. You know, and I don't think, to be honest, anyone would have had any complaints on the Watford side. I no. mean, they didn't play particularly badly for them. This was a decent performance, but we would we had been quite devastating, and I think that would have yeah. been a fair reflection. As it was, you know, the game became a bit loose and. We had the what the customary nervy finish as it's becoming. Yeah, Inketi hit the post. Inketi hit the post. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, well, as we've been talking, yeah. I had the Martinelli goal on loop. Just yeah. uh, watching it again and again. It's something I really enjoy about it. If you get the chance to see it again, I can rewind right now. <laughs> when the ball drops to him and he puts it in the top corner. Ben Foster's sort of planted in the middle of his goal and he just kind of falls forward. It's yeah. like he's been taken out by a sniper. Yeah, the- <laughs> that's what I was talking about like five minutes ago. 
Oh, really? I must have been lost in. I must have. I must have not been listening. He, he basically just crumples. Yeah, yeah. He just falls flat in his face. That's what I said. Oh yeah. man, yeah, it's brilliant. It's uh, yeah. I love things like that. It's like uh, Jose Sarr the other week when the ball went yeah. in off like his and he just like was thumping the ground and all that kind of stuff. You know? Beautiful stuff. I love. I love when we're good, but I love when it um, emotionally impacts the opposition as well. Of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then they. Uh, I mean, they listen, and they had a couple of other chances. There was one Dennis at the far post where Ooh, he yeah. just hit the ball very high up in the air, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a Lacazette impression, I think, from something Lacazette had done right, a bit earlier on. If you yeah, remember, yeah, remember that the left foot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, listen, uh, we got there in the end, and I'm glad because it would have been when it got to three two. I thought if we let this slip and we're not mm. able to reflect Be- and celebrate those goals properly i will be very very sad yeah i think that would have been a big big blow you know it really would yeah. have been it would have been it would have felt sort of birmingham-y do you know what i mean yes. like it would have felt like yeah oh that's a moment yeah um as it is it's we a survive yeah it's a moment it like I don't know if you're going to, if we look back on this as a defining weekend of the season, but certainly it was one where we had the opportunity to really take advantage of what was going on around us. And there have been times in the past where similar opportunities have been uh, there in front of us, and we haven't. Yeah. We haven't. Um, and I really do think most of Wat- Watford's best moments came from our carelessness and sloppiness if you like yeah where the first minute yeah yeah where we can look at that and say okay that wasn't good but we know how to fix that it's not like we were ripped apart you know in ways that we couldn't possibly comprehend there were things we could have done better but when it comes right down to it when west ham lose when manchester united lose when alex Iwobi scores a hat trick against tottenham in the future <laughs> tonight you know it's so so important that we take the maximum points from the games however it happens and that's what we did and and to me that is a, a really encouraging aspect of of what we did yesterday um you know it it feels like it it's not that it's too easy to to focus or dwell on the on the negatives. The positive is that we are now in the top four. We've got three games in hand on Manchester United. And what lies ahead is, again, it's a game-by-game game thing. I'm sure Arteta's going to, you know, bang that drum between now and May. We're taking it one game at a time. We're not looking ahead. We're not looking ahead. But these players now know what is at stake they know in, I know, fourth is not a trophy and all that kind of a stu- uh, thing, but they know what they can play for. They know what they've got in their hands. And I think this is going to be fascinating now to see how how they respond to that. Will they mm. feel the pressure or do they feel... Un- do they feel internally how they appear to look, if you know what I mean? Because to me... This looks like a team that is comfortable, confident. They get on together. They feel like there's something brewing. They feel like there's something building. You know what I mean? They look happy. Mm. They look happy is the word I would have used. Yeah, they you look know, really happy. It looks like a happy group who is now 
which is now sort of producing moments on the pitch which are, are of, of really high quality, which are capable of winning games and winning points and ultimately ending us in a position this season where, you know, I think most people, um, even before the start of the season, would have said was fanciful. Yeah, that's true. I think that's true. I don't think anybody was looking at it and thinking, well, we'll be right in the, you know, th- that we could finish in the top four. Yeah. Um, and we've given ourselves a really, really good chance yeah. of doing that now. And, you know, yes, teams around us are helping. They've dropped lots of points in the last couple of months, but we have done our job too. Yeah. Um, I think over the last 10 games in the Premier League, I think, you know, if, if you look at that form table, I think we might be top. Um so it's been a really terrific run. We've mm. had a decent run of fixtures. There's no doubt about that as well. Um, but, you know, all you can do is win the games in front of you. And, and and picking up points, winning games consistently in the Premier League, is really, really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Mm. Not, not a lot of teams do it. You know, City and Liverpool do it. Uh, and Chelsea to an extent. And they're very, very, very good. And we have been doing it of late. And uh, huge credit to them. I think it's uh, mm. terrific. I think, you know, it, there's a long way to go still. And I think um, this next little run of fixtures, three games in 10 days or whatever it is, I think will bring its own challenges and there'll definitely be challenges. And who knows how we'll respond to setbacks. This is me doing the circumspect yeah, I, that I talked about say. earlier, right? <laughs> you know, oh, we'll see. We'll see at the end of the season. But sort of for today, I do just sort of think... Oh, fuck it, we've done really well. We've done really, really well, and I'm very, very proud of them. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a nice place to finish part one of this uh, particular episode on. So why don't we take a break right here and come mm. back with some questions and more in part two right after this. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to uh, if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? Or Why don't you go first? Why don't I go first? Okay. In the spirit of generosity and giving that we're trying to adopt today, I've got you a go first. few questions, and there was quite a number of questions about Kieran Tierney. 
Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So let's deal with a couple of those. True Story, who's at True Story underscore number four on Twitter, says, Goodly morning. There seems to be many talking about Tierney and his drop in form. I thought he did most things well yesterday and looked better going forward too. Is it just that he has remained at the same level while all those around him have raised theirs? And the chief, who's at Macho underscore Grande one, says, Is Tierney's supposed dip in form actually down to the optics of being surrounded by better players? When he first came to the club, he was surrounded by garbage <laughs> and therefore stood out. Now he's surrounded by better players and bigger personalities. What are your thoughts on that? And I do have another follow-up question about the, the left-hand side, so we'll deal with that after. Mm, well, I do think the left-hand side thing is interesting. Um you know, last season, 38% of chances Arsenal created came from the left flank and mm. it's down to 29% this season. Um, there's been a massive increase in the chances we create from the centre of the pitch, which I think is really interesting and actually really promising. Um, his role has changed. He's not getting forward as much. He's not starting as high. I do think that he looks a little bit off where he was last season to me. I don't think he's been at his best um, but nor do I think he's been especially problematic. I think the thing is, like, as we get better, we start to kind of interrogate everything. You know, it's interesting. Like, we're on a really good run, probably our best run of the season. Um, and our, our questions are st a lot of questions still about individuals. And I think it's because when you when you start to get good you really want to fine tune and you start looking for every opportunity for improvement i think tierney's clearly still a massive part of our test plans he took the armband didn't he yeah when um uh lacazette went off yesterday i don't know if that's kind of a, a portent for what might happen in the summer i don't um, think so you don't think so no why is that i think it'll be odegaard that's well, my gut feeling if you could argue with it after after his recent performances. But then why not give it to him now? I don't know. Dunno, maybe it's just maybe it's just the the entire Obamiang situation. I think you talked last week, didn't you, about um the reaction of Lacazette to his yeah. big mate going and those two had a great relationship on and off the pitch. And I just wondered if part of managing that was giving Lacazette more responsibility, which I think he has done, you know, not just mm. in terms of the captaincy, but but as part of the way he wants the team to play. I, I thought your tweet yesterday was quite interesting when we were talking um, about who was going to end up with the most goals and assists. In oh, yeah, the, he got another two yesterday. Yeah, so he got another two assists yesterday, Lacazette. Like, I, uh, he can't buy a goal at the, at the moment. <laughs> he genuinely can't. But you know, the contribution that he is making in there um, is helping other players around him. So, yeah, there was a, a tweet from uh, Harvey Downs at Opta. Um, he, he's the first Arsenal player to get seven assists in a nine-game period since Meza Ozil in January 2016. Wow. Which is basically when Ozil was like on, you know, God mode, you know, when he was absolutely flying, breaking records. Seven assists across nine games. Um, wow! And that and to to follow on from our discussion last week, that doesn't include 
being fouled. It's the pass or shot. I think he might get one, for example, for the Jose Sarr. But the final touch in the build-up to a goal, so either a pass or right. a pass come shot, uh, which is quite amazing. But I guess it's sort of a function of being this hub with all these runners and finishers around him. Mm. Um why are we talking about Lacazette? Well, yeah, we were just we were sidetracked by the captaincy issue with with Tierney oh, and Tierney. what have you. The other thing to say about Tierney is he's not as influential as he was last season. But I'm not sure that Tierney ball, as we might call it, was ever particularly healthy. I mean, let's not forget it was kind of in the mid period last season where we were lamenting 30 crosses a game yeah. being slung into the box, many of whom came from Kieran Tierney. I think he's taken a more sort of conservative role um but i think for the team and for the balance that's generally been good i think in terms of like his ability in the duels and one-to-one i do think he is a a hair's breath behind where he was maybe a year or so ago but that's Mm. form you know and that's that happens with players sometimes but uh i'd still be picking him i would still be picking him it feels like we haven't seen nuno for a while has he started since the forest game Mm, don't think so, but he did come on last week, didn't yeah. he? And um, he's come off the bench, but yeah, I, I think Tierney's an interesting one in that I do think there is something to the idea that he is, you know, surrounded by well, surrounded by. I think the team is better than it was when he came into it first. Um, Definitely, and and what he brought to the team initially were some of the qualities that we really like about the group now, but were, which were in short supply back then. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Like the so the the commitment, the passion is the wrong word, but you know the the intent with which he plays, yes. um, wasn't necessarily replete through the squad when he arrived, um, and you can see the way certain in- individuals play, and it's easy to get behind because you you just like their attitude. I think that his attitude is great. Um, I also think that there's maybe just a, a thing that happens with players when they get to a point in their early to mid-twenties, there's sort of like a, a little bit of a plateau period, just a little bit, before they use all the football and experience that they've had up to that point to go up a level again. That's what I think is is going on with Tierney. I, yeah, I don't sense. think he's 100% in terms of his form. No way. We've seen him play much better than this. Um, But I'm not overly worried about it. I'm not overly stressed about it either, you know, because, again, I think he has the the right attitude, the right um, approach to playing the game, to training and all those kind of things, um, you know, that makes it almost a sure thing that he's going to come out the other side of, of this sort of, slightly fallow period that we're talking about. I think so, yeah. And and I don't feel like it's hugely hurting us. Um no. That he's a little bit off his game. Uh, and and like I say, I would still be picking him. Um I think he's an important part mm. of the team. But yeah, I, I, I it'll be interesting to see. I mean if he has hit a bit of a plateau and also is some of it our perception I mean perhaps the novelty of Kieran Tierney is is wearing off you know that players get a certain degree of grace when they arrive into a club I Mm. think and um, you know maybe we're looking at him a little bit more closely now because he's been here a little while but um, 
yeah, uh, he's under long-term contract, and I think that's generally a good mm. thing. Um, Let me ask you this one, then. It's sort of following on. on, because there were questions about the connections down the left-hand side, and, and uh, yeah. on the Discord, Amin Turi says, um, Goodly morning, gents. Martin Odegaard has developed a lovely connection with Bakayo Saka down the right-hand side. I know we've talked about how to get all four of our uh, young attackers in the team before, but do you think Emil Smith-Rowe could develop something similar with Gabriel Martinelli on the left-hand side if he were selected in place of Granite Xhaka, since Xhaka is playing further forward anyway, which I think is a very interesting question. Yeah, I've wondered about that, I have to say. I mean, listen, I, I generally I'm someone who, um, what's the word? I think I'm quite appreciative of the stability that Shaka offers the team. And I think there's much to admire in the way that he is uh, adapting to this role, which I would argue does not particularly suit him um you know on a purely individual basis it's funny do you remember when he came into the club and Arsene was like he's a box-to-box midfielder and then he proceeded <laughs> to not be a box-to-box midfielder for about four or five years but he is kind of one now and there were moments yesterday where he was the furthest player forward there was that one Cedric swung in across he almost got in front of Ben Foster and it does look slightly unnatural to him and you can't help but think if this is um a shape and a system we persist with, there might be someone who's a better fit. I, I'm loath to say that we will definitely persist with this because one thing I, I've observed about Arteta is that these tactical tweaks happen and they mm. sustain for a period, but then it changes again. And, you know, I think that it's kind of constantly... Uh, amorphous, evolving the shape of the team. Uh, you know, I think I, I always felt like there was an end goal in mind. You know, at some point, it, there'll be a final formation and that'll be that. And and maybe this is it, but the, a hallmark of his tenure has been changing it every couple of months when mm. um, maybe people get a little bit wise to us. But I have wondered about Smith Rowe in that role. Uh you know, when you look at the players we have and you think, could someone bring a bit more fluidity, a little bit more craft? Certainly he would be the one. I think the question mark would be, could he do the other half of the job as well? And as much as Shaka is advanced, there are plenty of moments where he steps in next to Partey and just adds a bit of solidity. Mm. And I'm not sure if we're ready to... To kind of take those stabilizers off. Yeah. Know. I mean, people point to Odegaard on the right hand side. And I think it's not a bad comparison at all because even though they're different players, you could you could see very easily how Odegaard in that sort of how do you how do you define that role? How would you call it? Like an advanced eight, something like that? A right sided advanced eight? I mean it's not a ten as yeah. as we understand it, but it's sort of an eight, but but right leaning. And you could see I could certainly see Smith Rowe in that left um, advanced state role as well, but I think Odegaard has a little bit more license than Shaka. I don't think it's perfectly sure. symmetrical. Do you know no, what I mean? I, I agree, but I, the the point I was going to make is that Odegaard has three years, maybe more experience than Smith Rowe. Yeah, because he does he does work really really hard. Like his defensive work is is fantastic. Um. 
or his defensive commitment, maybe some of the defending uh, isn't always spot on, but, you know, he's he's up and down the pitch. And I think he understands the role that he's being asked to, to play very well. But we have to remember that he had... Um, where was he on loan in Holland? Was it Vitesse that he went to um, in Quite Holland? Um, and he also had... Uh, actually, two loans in... Uh, uh, he went to Herenveen and he went to Vitesse. And then he also had a um, a season on loan with Real Sociedad. Well, which had been, he'd been playing first-team football since he was about 12 as well, yeah. let's not forget. So I, I think when we talk about Smith-Rowe in that role, I don't think it's beyond him. I, I think he would be very good at it, but I'm not sure he's quite there in his development yet to be able to do that. Uh, on a weekly basis. So I, I yeah. see it as something potentially for the future, but not necessarily right now, unless, you know, we don't, if Shaq is out, would you play Sambi there or would you play Smith Rowe there maybe? You know, how do you... I think you, it would maybe depend on the opposition. Yeah. Um, we're not seeing, it feels like Sambi's another one who, you know, he, he's had spells where he's played a lot and then spells where he's played a lot less. Um which is probably a good thing, I guess, for his development. You know, he gets some exposure and then he gets some time to kind of reflect on that and, and build privately. But mm. I, th I think, um, you know, it's easy. We always draw comparisons with Man City because of Arteta, because of Pep. But you look at the midfielders they have and you just think, you know, one of the, a player of that ilk, you know, your Gundogan's, your... Bernardo's, your mm. De Bruyne's, like someone with that degree of technical ability on that left-hand side, connecting up. What In Martinelli and Tierney, what you've really got, I mean, Martinelli is a good dribbler, but also you've got brilliant off-the-ball runners in those two. Guys who are going to make great runs yeah. into space at speed, and you want someone who's just going to be able to kind of link it up and pick them out. And... Yeah, that I mean, that's clearly a, a piece of the puzzle that needs to be added. Um, it's Shaka for now. It's Shaka and Lacazette to me are in very similar boats. You know, they're the right people to do the job right now. They're the best that we have, mm. um, but I don't doubt we can improve upon them. Fair enough. Shall we have a question? Yeah, I mean, we. This is from Jan who's at Jan Hoppy. And Jan says, why do you think that neutral parties, uh, podcasts, Match of the Day, etc., aren't much interested in us at the moment? And do you think it's good that the team is operating under less of a spotlight? Well, I, I don't know um, who isn't interested in us to whatever degree they're not interested because I don't really, apart from like watching Match of the Day when we win, I mm. don't really involve myself in neutral content if that makes sense mm. like i don't care if we're getting the plaudits we deserve or not like i'm not that interested because we know there's always an element of you know build them up to knock them down kind of stuff going on um For sure i do think that it's probably helpful given the development stage of this particular team, that we're not necessarily being talked about in the press anyway as big favourites for the top four. And maybe there's been a bit more focus on, let's say, the problems at Manchester United, if you like, 
than the progress at Arsenal. You know? Yeah, that's a that is a helpful distraction, I think. So that is a for the neutral anyway is probably a much more enjoyable discussion to be had. You know? Mm-hmm. Like Arsenal were good today, yeah. But United the behemoth, the dominant force in English football for so many years are a fucking mess. And that's hilarious to most people. You know, it is. It Let's is, yeah. face it. You know, looking at <laughs> Harry Maguire is just funny. There's no two ways about it. It's just funny. And um, when it goes wrong for them, as it did yesterday, and you've got Roy Keane pissed off like a bastard on Sky Sports. I think there was a moment where Micah Richards just burst out laughing and I was looking at Roy Keane's face. And I know that the two of them seem to get on very well, but I I, I could see in Keane's eyes that <laughs> if there was... The, the red mist descend. If, if there was a table lamp beside him, he would have picked it up and just smacked Micah Richards in the head with it, you know? Um, oh, that, that, for the neutral viewer, I think is a much more enjoyable thing, right? So... Uh, that could be part of it. I think that the, 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 that the two things are happening kind of in tandem is maybe beneficial for us because it takes some of the spotlight off us. Yeah, I think that's true. I think United are obviously massive and a massive story, whatever happens there, and them being a bit of a mess, of course, uh, is box office stuff. Antonio Conte has been taking up a lot of headlines with some of his antics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, that's probably slightly shrouded us. And I've expressed frustration. We both have about the whole idea of nobody wants fourth. But <laughs> I guess let us be uh, kind of the stealth uh, operator in this. I, I, by the way, on the subject of United, I saw a very funny tweet, which really made me laugh, um, by David Binch on Twitter saying, uh, talking about the mess at United and saying, saw someone a while back saying that Man United to hire their own little vindictive... <laughs> start again. Saw someone a while back saying that Man United need to hire their own vindictive little cunt and give him obscene amounts of power like Arsenal did with Arteta. And it's so true. And <laughs> it sounds very um, harsh. But, like, it is also right. Like, United are in desperate need of the kind of cultural clean-out that Arteta has provided at Arsenal. Um, and they are rudderless, you know, and I'm I'm greatly enjoying it. Um, <laughs> Vindictive little con. <laughs> I don't think that... I don't know if that's written by an Arsenal fan or not, to be honest with you. I suspect not. But I know what they mean, you know. They need someone who is prepared to go in there and take on the massive egos fill in that club mm. you know people like Ronaldo who pissed off out of Manchester when he wasn't going to be in the team wasn't even in the city for the game is that you what know? that was is that because Keane kept saying like oh his hip flexor hip what's going on with his hip flexor and I was like he must know well, something it was all very strange he like, must Ranyuk know said, that they must have heard something yeah Ranit was like I need to I need to believe my physios when they tell me he can't play Oof. and then it turned out he got on a flight and left the city. I don't know what's going on there. I mean, that's been an enjoyable disaster of its well, own. Well, true. Ronaldo, I think. But I mean, that's, you know, if you're if you're about to play a Manchester derby and you're basically the highest profile player um, at the club, even if you're injured, if you you're committed to the club, if you're committed you to the team, you've got to be there. 100%. 100%. And I, I think... 
Actually, this is not a, a question, but it's something I've been ruminating on. I think that Man United are really suffering from the lack of managerial authority they have. Mm. Um, you know, they put a bloke in place who everybody knows isn't going to be there next season. And I think the players are just sort of running roughshod over that. Is running roughshod an, a, a, an idiom? Riding so. roughshod? Riding roughshod, yes. Um and it slightly informs, actually, how I feel about Arsenal. I think that Arteta's authority is kind of integral to his management of the club. I think that the security of his position is of critical importance. I think it's what enables him to do things like take a stand on a Bamiang and be... Um, how is he described in the tweet? A vindictive uh, little cunt. A vindictive little cunt when he needs to be. <laughs> and, and for that reason, um, I, I, I don't think he should go into next season without a new contract. I, I think if you, if you as a club decide he's not the man, then fair enough. It wouldn't be my decision, but you know, I think you're open to that. I, I think if he's going to stay you've got to give him the security of a contract so that everybody knows, mm. every staff member, every player, this is the guy, don't fuck with him. And I think that is actually quite important to the way Arteta manages a club. I think if you took that away... Um, yeah, if, you, if there are grey areas... Yeah, exactly. Where, ...where he is, in some ways, look, I know it's, I know it's not quite that. In some ways, he's been quite black and white, you know, with how he's dealt with, with certain things. And it feels like it's been black and white. But obviously, behind the scenes, there's a lot more nuance, uh, a lot of stuff that we don't see, a lot of stuff that happens that we're not aware of. Not every disciplinary issue ends with a player being jettisoned and frozen out. There are lots of disciplinary issues at football clubs all the time, and they get dealt with, and they get dealt with, and nobody knows a goddamn thing about any of them. So, you know, it's unrealistic to think that things like that ha haven't happened at Arsenal. But, you know, if you want to create the the right environment for a manager to do his work and for, um, for there to be some measure of a pecking order, if you like, um, like, I don't... How am I going to put this? I mean, you talk about the Manchester United players riding Ralph Ranić. Oh, there's an image. I didn't mean to say it quite like that. Um, riding roughshod over Ralph Ranić. Um, mm. You know, that's not a healthy environment, particularly when you've got players who are nowhere near as good as they think they are um, and, and have yeah. egos to, to go along with that. But and you we do, don't have stars like Ronaldo. I mean, it's a slightly different situation. No, you know? no, it is, of course. But what I mean, what I mean is that... Uh, Pecking order is the wrong word. How am I? How do? I, how am I trying to say this? Like levels of authority, if you know what I mean. Like mm. in the end, the manager should be the guy at the top of the food chain when it comes to footballing things at a football club, and the players, you know, have to respect that. They should respect that if the manager is doing a good job. You know. Mm. Yeah, but and if you and if you get it wrong, like I think you have to make that clear that this is our guy. We're backing him, and if you get it wrong. I mean, you pay for it in compensation, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I don't think uh, it would be wise to just sort of let Mikel go into the final year of his contract and sort of see how that plays out. I think you've got to be definitive. And actually, I would go further than that. I think if you're Arsenal, um, you should be thinking about 
that contract in quite serious terms at this point. I know there's a way to go. I know that Arsenal might finish fourth. They might finish eighth. I don't know what's going to happen. But I think, you know, I remember when Arsene Wenger in 27, like we, we ended up in that situation where it kind of hinged on a cup final. If you keep the manager or mm. not, you know, what happens in the last game of the season? I, that's not good, right? No. You should be keeping a manager not based on the outcome of one game, two games or three games, but based on progress and if there's good underlying process. And if you ask me right now, I'd say there is good progress happening at Arsenal. So yeah. as much as I appreciate the logic in waiting to the end of the season, I think... I think you've got to be thinking about it if you're on that board at this point. And I'm sure they are. Yeah, I'm they sure should they be. They should be. Um, let me ask you this one. Bakary Lasagna on the Discord says, Hi, gents. With mistakes for both Gabrielle and Ben White in the last two games, is this a symptom of lack of meaningful competition for places or lack of game time and struggling to establish a rhythm, while Arsenal Monkey says if Saliba was in the squad competing for a centre-back spot, would Gabriel and Ben White be less prone to error? Gabriel in particular has made some silly mistakes recently, but with more intense competition for a starting spot, I think these would be less common. What do you think? Um, well, I think that, to be honest, for most of the season, they've really benefited from being sort of the clear partnership. I think mm. that consistency has really helped them. But maybe there comes a point where competition is useful. I'm certainly not watching them and thinking, these guys are just turning in performances because they know they're going to be picked next week. I really don't get that vibe from them. No. But, but I do think competition is healthy. And I think next season we're going to need something else in that part of the pitch just for depth, for especially if we've got more games, which... Mm. Fingers crossed we will have. I think we're all hoping it's William Saliba. It seems like the really logical solution. Arteta spoke about him, I think, again the other day and kind of said, look, I know it might be difficult to understand why he's out on loan, but he's been through a lot and, you know, we felt it was the right decision as a club. Um, I don't think it's that difficult. I know you think that it was the right thing, probably. Um, We've talked about that before. And if he comes back a better player, then... So be it. But I, yeah, I mean, where I, was Ben White at twenty? Where was Gabrielle at twenty? They were doing loans at Dinamo Zagreb, and where was absolutely. Ben White, Rotherham, or you know, you've got to put in some foundations, particularly yeah. with young central defenders. So that's yeah. I, I, in short, I don't think that is the component that's why their performances may have been a fraction less secure of late. I think you could apply apply it to the whole defensive unit. It's worth remembering we're still coping without Tommy Asu. I thought Cedric, who has been good, um, maybe dropped off a little bit, I thought, of Vicarage Road. Defensively, um, for sure. Defensively, for sure. I thought going forward he was good. I think, as well as the centre-halves, Ramsdale's part of that unit. I thought there were two very obvious moments yesterday with his kicking that uh, did not go to plan. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first one, I was like, you've got to just put that in touch. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, you come out, where he tried to go down the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lovely that you're trying to keep it in play there, but put it out for a throw. Very like Gabrielle at Wolves, you know, when you're a left-footed centre-half in the right channel, um, just put it out for a throw-in. And when you're a goalkeeper, 40 yards from goal, on the wing, put it put it out for a throw-in, yeah. mate. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And there was a second one where he tried to spray it to the right and he had to make a save in the box in the end. I just think defensively, we're just a, you know, we're just a fraction off where we were. But I don't worry that we can't defend. I mean, for much of the season, that was kind of mostly what we did do. Yeah. And that was the foundation of our success. So I think um, maybe there's been a bit of a trade-off in terms of adding attacking potency. Defensive solidity suffered a little bit. Maybe we just need to get the balance right. Mm. Um, but I think we've shown already this season we can do that. I mean, what do you think about the centre-halves? I agree with you. I don't think their mistakes are down to lack of competition or any sense of... Um, what's the word? I don't have words in my brain today. Um, where you take something for granted. You know what I mean? Uh, begins with C, maybe? Uh, complacency. That's exactly the word. Thank you. Uh, it's like playing Wordle, but with longer words. Um, I don't think it's complacency. I just think that inevitably, during the course of a season, central defenders are going to make mistakes. Um, whether they're 23, 24, whether they're 30 or 32, whether they're good or bad, they're all going to make some kind of mistakes along the way. I think we've had a couple in the last couple of games which have been fairly... Um, you know, they've cost us goals. I, I Again, I don't really think the Ben White one was a mistake. Um, I think it was just a little bit unlucky. Maybe could have been a bit stronger in that position. Certainly, Gabrielle and Ben White together last week for the Wolves goal were not great. Um, but I've said this before to you. I think young defenders have to go through these moments to continue their development and to continue uh, to become the players that we want them to be, you know? Mm. Um, no player is perfect. No player goes through a season without misplaced passes or a miskick here or, you know, mistiming a header or whatever it is. Um, so when they happen, I think perhaps the reason we're talking about them is because for the most part, they've been pretty rare this season with these two. Um, and now they've happened a couple of times and we're thinking, well, why is that? Is there something bigger behind the scenes? I just think it's it's just going to happen from time to time. How they respond, how they deal with them, that's the main thing. That's the important thing. And hopefully, you know, they'll make sure that they're doubly switched on uh, come the weekend and come the coming games. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, we had some questions about red shorts. Oof. <laughs> Ask, ask, baby. Goodly morning, gents. Wondering if either of you could clarify who exactly decides when teams need to alter their kits. Is it the FA, the team, or someone else? Mm. And a follow-up question, are they colourblind or completely blind? <laughs> yeah, we had East Lower, East Lower, red shorts. Yeah. I just want to know why. And on the Discord, Rambo says, what is the worst Arsenal kit of all, of all time? And why is it any time we wear red shorts with the home kit? <laughs> it's very Rotherham. I will say that. It's um, weird as well because there was no kick clash and I saw somebody report that... Kaya uh, Kynak reported That's who it was, uh, yeah. Said that Arsenal had requested the change mm. and it had been granted. I tried to do some digging on this. I sent a message to the Arsenal Communications Department via WhatsApp mm. um, asking, is there any particular reason why we, re we requested to wear red shorts yesterday when our normal kit would not have clashed. And you know what? I can see two little blue tick marks. 
Two little blue tick marks at 0737 this morning. Mm. No reply as yet. It's a top secret piece of information. So they're, they're clearly not willing to share why this decision was they're made. Briefing on why they wore the red shorts. Why? I mean, it must have been strategic. It Unless had- there's something went wrong and they put the white shorts in the wash with the red shirts. It had to be a feeling of like, this is going to help us. I think we've got more than one set of white shorts, probably. Well, you never know with the Cronkies. <laughs> They've cut back. Um, uh, yeah, I think um, they must have just thought it will help us maybe against the yellow. They thought it will be easier to pick out. Yeah. I've got no idea. I mean, listen, we played some lovely stuff. Um, we did, but I, you know, I prefer not to see Arsenal in red shorts. Mm. I just don't really... How about the red yeah. socks? I like, I like the stripes. I'm a fan like of the, the hoops. Stripes. I like the hoopy yeah. ones. I don't know. It's maybe, a curious one. Yeah. Let's, let's try and find out. Let's try and find out. I mean, you know, obviously, I'll just get the blue ticks as well. But if I, if I get any more than blue ticks, I will tell you. Yeah. Um, I'd be fascinated. be the first to hear. Let, it, yeah, yeah, very curious one. Okay. By the way, I yeah. have to say, quick note, I actually wish that I love our... Uh, what's our away kit this season? We don't I love see it. Blue kit, actually, the sort of retro. It's the yellow one. It's yellow. Mm. Is it yellow and blue? Sort of. Sort of. What I'm where I'm going with this is, I wouldn't mind seeing Arsenal in in yellow and blue at the moment. Bit yeah, of a shout there was out a to bit the of Ukraine, given everything that's going on. There was a bit of that. It's sort of like the yellow and dark blue, but it's it's yeah, it's kind it's, of it's not quite, quite close yellow. enough. We've had better kits really to reflect the Ukraine. Two thousand three, two thousand and four. Let's that wheel one. that out because, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm honestly, yeah. Anyway, I won't, I won't get into the war. Actually, I won't get into it at this point. But yeah, fair enough. We've come this sending far, love to Ukraine. Uh, let me ask you this one because I thought it was quite interesting. Um, can I find it? Um, boom, 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 boom. Uh, I did have it right here, but now I don't know where any of my questions have gone. Um, Hmm. I just want oh, hmm then to hmm. fill the gap. Thank you very much. That was, it was that a timely, is elite podcasting. A timely hmm. hmm. It comes from Dial Square, who's at North Bank Wesson. And he says, would you sacrifice any disruption of dressing room bond for a Hollywood signing? It's clear we need both a world-class central midfielder and striker. But while it could give us the edge... It has the potential to do longer-term harm. And he says, Ozil, Oba, Alexis, etc. Um, so that, like, super talent. Who would that be? I Can we contextualise that? I don't know who that would be, you see. Yeah. But I, I thought it was an interesting question um, in the light of a very, very good, a very interesting interview on Sky Sports. Uh, from a guy called Nick Wright, who interviewed Mikel Arteta ahead of the the Watford game. It was a good long interview. And he talked about, or he was asked about this summer, and he said, um, this summer is more important than last summer because we've got to go to a different level. And I think he means in in uh, the players that we recruit and the team. And we need to bring in the players who can address some of the gaps that are in this squad that we're all aware of. And he was asked about um, what is he looking for when it comes to a striker? 
Mm, he was quite emphatic about yeah. that. Yeah. He said he, he puts the ball in the net. That's priority number one. <laughs> goal threat. Any successful team needs enough goal threat in the squad. Without it, you have nothing. You can play good football, but you need enough goal threat in the team. And then he said, the other thing is that he has to complement the other people we have personally and on the pitch. And for so that, tell them they've got nice hair and stuff. Like yeah, that. We, yeah, we need the right. We need the right profile. Um, so he's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just goes around complimenting everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a very handsome man. Just want to say that before the game. Just want to say, Bakaya, your beautiful cheekbones. Yeah. Um, But that's that's quite interesting in that he is obviously looking for, and this shouldn't be a surprise, but he's looking for the kind of character as well as the quality. So he doesn't want to bring in that player who might be brilliant, but could be a vindictive little cunt. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? If Sorry. Ronaldo comes on the market, we're not getting involved. No. That's what we're saying. That's right. No, I, 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 honestly, I think that um, personality has been a factor in all the signings, all, certainly all the major signings Arteta has made. You know, you look at people like Odegaard, White, Ramsdale. Um, I'm sure there are others. Tommy Asu is another one whose personality isn't quite, let's say, I think you would say um, Tommy Asu and. Ramsdale, for example, are very different characters, but they both mm-hmm. bring things via those separate characters that are very useful to the team. Yes, I I, uh, I spoke to uh, I, did, I did a profile on uh, Tomiyasu. I spoke to Mayo Shida, his centre back partner from Japan, and he said of uh, Tommy, he has a very pure heart. I thought it was a very beautiful oh, thing like to say that. about a fellow footballer. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, exactly. Personality and profile, as Arteta calls it, has been a key component in all those decisions. And essentially, it would be weird to change that at this point. If that player also happens to be very expensive and a star, but he has the right personality as well as the right ability, then so be it. But I would not forgo that aspect of the decision. You know, whatever the player's talent, whatever the player's statistical output I think the the cultural change that Arteta has implemented mm. at Arsenal is really important and I think it's I think it's I think it would be a mistake to forget those values when we make these big decisions uh, yeah I mean do you agree with that or do you think uh, no I do with I, a striker you just bring in a super talented wild card and say to hell with it I don't know that There's you can necessarily that. do that uh, unless, you know, if the talent is off the charts, maybe. But the reality of cultural change, if, if that's what we're going to call it, is painful. To go through it is difficult. And whatever people think about the various decisions that he has made, he's made them with a level of conviction that, you know, I think is is admirable. Um he knows or knew he was going to get criticised for the Ozil thing. He knew he was going to get criticised for the Aubameyang thing. And it may well be a decision which come back uh, comes back to bite him in the arse. Um, but 
I think if you're willing to take that pain to do what you think is the right thing for the culture of the club and the group and the, the atmosphere that you're trying to build, to then row back on it, does it undermine that? Does it undercut what you've done? I think it probably does. Yeah. Unless, as we said, the talent is so off the charts that you you just live with it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know who that I, talent I don't know is. If, I don't know if Arteta can just live with it. Do you know what I mean? No, I, mean, I don't think he would be able to either. Um, so I'm not sure that option's even available to him. Um, I think it will... I think like all the signings in this project, it will be a component in the decision. And I think... I think that's probably the right thing. Mm. I wonder who it will be. Interesting, though. I wonder who yeah, it will be. Yeah, really interesting. Marcus Rashford angling for oh, a move nice. away. Yeah, I've seen that story. He's I mean, another I'm nice sure. boy, isn't he? He's, he's a, another very he's nice boy. He's a nice boy who could have a nice day out with the other nice boys at Arsenal. They just have a lovely time on the pitch being nice. Yeah. He hasn't actually played centre-forward, I think, for quite a while. Mm. Um but apart from that, he is very nice. Yeah. He is very nice. Okay. Um, right. I think we'll leave it there for this particular episode. Um, what a lovely note to finish it on. A nice, nice boys. lovely, nice, lovely boys. We will obviously uh, talk to you on Friday. Regular Arsecast on Friday. Um, big game coming up against Leicester, so we'll preview that as well. As always, thank you for being here, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye, bye. Oh, oh, <gasps> I've got my final two shows this week. Soho Theatre, Wednesday, Thursday. I've tweeted the links on my profile. I honestly promise you I'm not going to do it again in London. So if you want to come, come. Yeah. There's no Arsenal game, so no one has to come up and tell me the score. Ideal. What are, what midweek football is there? Like, could somebody come up and tell you that there is... Let's a- have a look. I, I, sh- I should have checked this before I agreed to do the show. There's Champions League games on. Right. On Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, there is Premier League football. So it's, you know, someone could come up and tell me that Norwich are beating Chelsea, for example. If Norwich beat Chelsea on Thursday night, on Thursday the 10th of March, and you've got a ticket for my show, you have permission to tell me that Norwich have beaten Chelsea. <laughs> I'll be, take that risk. It's going to be amazing. Like 15 people just pile on the Rush stage. Rush the stage. <laughs> Timu Pukki score. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please let it happen uh, as much as Alex Iwobi's double hat-trick later on tonight. I'm uh, looking forward to the Alex Iwobi double hat-trick yeah. and the Deli Alley late winner. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Alex Iwobi is going to score a double hat trick, but Everton will still need a Deli Alley. It's going to be a seven-six thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't right. wait. A few sendings off along the way. That'll be good. All right, let's leave it there. Do you want to say goodbye again? Let's do it. I'll do it again. All right, I'll do it again. Bye, bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.